Okay, friends, when you're able and ready, please grab a copy of God's Word and turn to it to Matthew chapter 15. We've been in a series over the Levitical feasts in Leviticus chapter 23 in which we are taking a break for today because we have the privilege of having the Reverend Jonathan Dorst to preach for us. Jonathan, many of you know Jonathan. Jonathan was the first PCA, well, yeah, the first PCA church planter in all of Oklahoma. He came to Stillwater um, more than a decade ago to plant Grace Stillwater, and he's the associate pastor at River Oaks Presbyterian Church. So we're honored to be able to have Jonathan here to preach for us. And so if you'd please give your attention now to Kendall as he reads for us from Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before me, him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is great to be back here at Trinity. I uh, was here last fall. I didn't hear Blake's intro, so I don't know what all he said about me. Um, I'm a, an assistant associate pastor at River Oaks down in South Tulsa. And I've been there almost a year now. I was a church planner in Stillwater before then, and so I know what it's like to meet in an elementary school and uh, set up every week. In fact, for 11 years, we did that, and they're still doing that in Stillwater, even after I'm gone. And uh, So I know you guys want to have your own place, and that would be great to have your own place, but uh, wait on the Lord is my, is my encouragement. I want to tell you about a the time I spent uh, preparing, actually, before I planted a church, I was encouraged, and, I'm, and I see it as, as great wisdom, I was encouraged to do what we call a church planting apprenticeship. And uh, so what that means is I moved my family from Charlotte, North Carolina, up to Washington, D.C. area uh, to work with a guy named Al, who had planted a PCA church there, and uh, I was his assistant pastor, and I was going to learn the ropes from him, and I was really excited to do this and to kind of, you know, get trained, but also to kind of prove my worth, and so I jumped in uh, when I got to the church and jumped in and, and wanted to try a bunch of stuff, and Al encouraged me, you know, try, try a bunch of stuff and see what happens, and what I found out was not much 
was happening like I had planned. Uh, for some reason, the people were not taking to me. I was not understanding them. Every time I tried to start uh, a, a new group, nobody really wanted to join. When I tried, when I planned an event, hardly anyone would show up, and I was continually frustrated at this. And then, about eight months into our time there, so this is 2001, 9/11 happened. If you lived through that, you remember what a crazy time that was. Well, it was especially hard for us who were living in the D.C. area. In fact, one of the planes, the plane that hit the Pentagon, would have flown just about right over the office park where I worked. And, uh, and it, was a, it was a deeply disturbing time for us. And, and after 9-11, I began to fall into really a depression. And for the first time in my life, I began to feel helpless. Began to, to cry out, why is this happening to me? But instead of it getting better, it actually got worse. There was a, a sniper, some of you remember this, who was going all around the D.C. area, shooting people, killing people at gas stations. We were afraid to, to go fill up our cars. And then soon after that, there was this anthrax scare, and my wife was afraid to get the mail. And, and I continued to be frustrated doing this work, and it wasn't getting any better. Why? I would pray, why, Lord, is, why are you doing this? When's this going to get better? Well, the story that Kendall just read is a story about a woman who faced hard times and they also didn't get better for her very quickly. Um, this is one of those stories, I think, that, that doesn't get put into a lot of children's Bibles. <laughs> and, and because it's a hard story to think through. Can you imagine a worse thing than this? A little girl possessed by a demon. Now, I, I'm sure if you're like me, a lot, most of us have never encountered demon possession in real life, right? But, but if you've ever read missionary stories from third world countries, they often include firsthand accounts of seeing people possessed by demons. Or if you've read in other parts of the scriptures stories of people possessed or even if you've just seen The Exorcist, right? You can imagine the horror of the situation. Here's a little girl who is not herself. We can only imagine. And her mother must have been at the end of her wits. And she comes and she cries out to Jesus to help her. If, anyone there, who, if there was anyone who needed help, it was this woman. And she cries out, Lord, son of David. That, that's a, those words mean something to Jesus, right? And what does Jesus do? He kind of ignores her. He doesn't answer. He, he gives her the cold shoulder, in fact. And so he, she goes to his disciples and continues to lobby with them, and, and they, either, they either can't do anything or they don't really want to help 
Uh, but they sort of take it back to Jesus. Jesus, you know, this woman, uh, we've had enough of her. Could you please help her? And, and Jesus sort of rebuffs them too. And then finally, finally this woman comes and she kneels before Jesus. And you can just imagine her. And those two words, help me. Lord, help me in utter need, utter desperation. And finally, Jesus answers. <laughs> but it kind of get wor gets worse before it gets better. Because he then tells her sort of this riddle in which he actually insults her and calls her daughter a dog. This is in the Bible. <laughs> This is Jesus speaking, right? This is the same Jesus who said, let the little children come to me. If you're like me, the first time you read this, you think, I have so many questions. Why is Jesus doing this? Why is he treating this woman so rudely? Why isn't he helping someone who's clearly in need? Why? Why, why does he insult her? Her. Is, is Jesus a bully? You may ask that question. Or, or maybe is he just this extreme nationalist, right? Someone who only likes his own people. This woman, we're told, is a Canaanite woman. Jesus is Jewish, right? And he makes a distinction there. Well, we know, we know that Jesus usually healed people on the spot. In fact, right after this passage, we're told that there's a whole crowd of people, many of them needing healing, and Jesus, the text says Jesus healed all of them. No questions asked, at least no questions that we're told, right? But here, Jesus doesn't heal this little girl right away. And we see, first off, this, that, that what is an emergency to God or excuse me, what is an emergency to us is often not such an emergency to God. Now, what happens when one of our kids gets sick, really sick? Well, we demand that they get taken care of, don't we? We rush to that ER and we say, I demand to see a doctor right now. I don't care about all you people waiting. My, my kids, my little girl, my little boy is sick. They need to get better now. And we do that with God too, don't we? Lord, don't you know my situation? Don't you know what I'm going through? How can you not answer me? How can you wait? And I guess we sort of have this image of God going, oh, I didn't know it was that serious. Oh, we better do something. But that's not God, is it? And the Bible has this phrase, this sort of mysterious phrase all through it. The prophets talk about this idea of wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. God often calls us to wait, to temper our emergency. And, and it's, this waiting is not just, it's not to frustrate us. The waiting is intended to make us ready to see more of him, 
It's intended to help us see the gravity of the situation, the gravity of who he is. It's intended to get us off our timetable so that God can take his time to teach his precious truths. That seems to be do what he's doing with this woman and, and maybe with his disciples as well. It's certainly what he was doing with me in 2001. I needed to come to the end of myself before I could, so that I could really see Jesus in a new way. I could get a bigger picture of God and of his love for me. But we also see here that Jesus has other purposes other than just healing, right? He, he wants to engage this woman's heart. And so he draws her out. Look at verse 26. I'll read it again. After she has knelt before him, she says, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, there are two kinds of people in the Bible. There are the Jewish people, right? The nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And then there are the Gentiles, which is everybody else. Right? Everybody else who's not Jewish. And the Jews really had an idea of themselves as being superior, right? They were given the law, and they had this huge emphasis on holiness, and they had a, they had a nickname for Gentiles that they would often use. they call them dogs. You know? Dirty, filthy animals, scavenging for food, eating dead things, and it was a term of absolute contempt for non-Jewish people. And yet, that's actually not what Jesus is saying here. Because the word, the Greek word that he uses here is not that, that contemptuous word for filthy dog. It's actually the word for puppy or, or little dog. It, it, it connotes the, the little one in the family. And what Jesus is doing here is he's actually subtly identifying this woman. He's using it deliberately to show that he knows that this child is the most important thing in the world to this woman. This is your little one. Right? As Walter Hanniger, another pastor, says, Jesus is drawing out the mama bear here. But what does he mean? What, what is this riddle about? It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Well, we have to connect it to something he said just a few verses earlier. Verse 24. He tells his disciples, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this is literally true, right? Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, a Jewish city. He was born a Jewish boy, worked and lived among Jewish people for all of his growing up. He was sent there, and he began his ministry there. But there's a bigger truth here also, and that's what Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 1 when he says that salvation is first for the Jews and also for the Gentiles. See, this is the storyline of the Bible. God starts, begins salvation history with the Jewish people. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham the, 
the father of the Jewish people, right? He, he calls Abraham and he raises up and he says, I'm going to raise up a people for myself. And through you, he tells Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He raises up the nation of Israel through Abraham, but, but what's the second part of that? Through you, all the nations of the world should be blessed. See, the grace that was given to Israel was not supposed to end at Israel's borders. It was supposed to flow out to all the nations. And in some ways, this is, this is so, such a central theme in the Old Testament. Because this was God's intention for Israel to be missionaries to the whole world. And the problem in Israel was that they didn't want to be missionaries. They wanted to keep to themselves, right? That's what the book of Jonah is all about. God, God sends Jonah, this Israelite prophet, to go to Nineveh, a, a, a pagan city outside of Israel and, and basically preach the good news. Jonah doesn't want to do that. Why, why would I do that, Lord? Those aren't, those aren't the right people. Those aren't my people. I don't want them to be saved. He was fighting against God's purposes. But the grace that was given to Israel was supposed to go and flow to the rest of the world. In two weeks, we're going to be celebrating Palm Sunday. And I'm excited because I get to see a lot of you guys again. We're actually planning a, a big service for uh, f our five churches that are connected at the Green Country Events Center. I think it's going to be great. But what is Palm Sunday about? Palm Sunday is a celebration of the time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the holy city of Israel. He rode in on a donkey and he was worshipped by many of his people there. You know, they they recognized, like this woman, that this is the son of David, the Lord, the Messiah. And they, they worshiped him. But Palm Sunday also marks, in one sense, the final rejection of Jesus by the Jewish leaders. Just as some of the people were worshiping him, the, the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. And if Jesus' mission, his sole mission was to save Israel, we would have to say that he failed, right? In fact, in Luke 13, Jesus curses his own people. It's, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? But you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken. Right? Even here, you, you recognize these are the children of the promises. I wanted to gather you together. I wanted to feed you. But you wouldn't. He was sent to the house of Israel, but they rejected him. And they themselves were rejected. But the good news is that continuing on with what God told Abraham... Jesus' mission was also to all the nations of the world. And the grace that was given to Israel begins to flow out in Jesus to the rest of the world. And this woman gets it. She gets what Jesus is about. 
Look at her response to Jesus' statement. Remember, Jesus says, well, it's not right to take the children's bread, right? To take what's intended for Jewish people and give it to the, the dogs, to you Gentiles. And Jesus says, or the woman says, verse 27, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. There's a commentator, James Edwards, who said, this is actually the first person in the New Testament, in the Gospels, to get one of Jesus' parables on the spot. This is the first person. Isn't that amazing? He told all these parables. So often he had to explain them, even to his disciples. She's the first person to really get it. She understands what Jesus is saying. She gets past what we, what we first, and probably maybe was, a big barrier of rudeness. She gets past that, and then she actually takes what he says, and she extends the metaphor. She extends the parable to show that she understands. Yeah, maybe I am a dog, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs under the table. There's got to be something left for me and my daughter. Because I know you. And I'm, I'm looking for a blessing from you. She, and she gets to some degree this, this plan. That Jews and Gentiles are to be one family. Most of the people in Jesus' day didn't even get it. Even his disciples had such a hard time getting it, didn't it? And this story that starts poorly ends well. And Jesus heals her daughter. And he commends her faith. He says, woman, great is your faith. She got it. And she gets, I would even say that she gets the gospel in ways that we need to. She understands who Jesus is in ways that we really need to. Because I think we can learn a lot about humility. The humility that the good news of Jesus brings to us. Right? Gospel humility is knowing who we really are before God. I heard a pastor once talk about dog and cat theology. Maybe you've heard this before. A dog looks at his master and says, he loves me, he feeds me, he takes care of me, he must be God. A, a cat looks at his master and says, he loves me, he feeds me, he takes care of me, I must be God. And how many of us have that cat theology, right? The world revolves around me. God owes me a good, comfortable, pain-free life. But the, the dogs have it right. The dogs have a right. God is the center of the universe. And we need to, to first understand that and understand who we are. We are needy. We are, in fact, filthy because of our sins. We are the helpless ones. And as Tim Keller says about this passage, it's only if you admit that you're a dog under the table that you can become a child sitting at the table. 
Or you might say, if we'll extend the, the metaphor, only dogs go to heaven. But you have to recognize, in a sense, that you are a dog. But here's the thing also. Gospel humility doesn't mean that we always act like Eeyore, right? Oh, poor me. I can't do anything right. No. Because actually the gospel frees us to be strong people, but strong in the Lord. Right? The, the, the very fact that Jesus died for us is, is incredibly humbling, right? Because it tells us that we couldn't do it on our own. But it's also incredibly empowering because it means that we are deeply loved and that we don't have to be afraid of failing anymore. Jesus took away my shame. Jesus defeated death on my behalf. What do I have to be afraid of? I should be bold in everything that God calls me to do. And so proper humility is seeing ourselves not as just super low or, or super high. It's not being overly prideful or overly despairing. It is about seeing ourselves the way that God sees us and in relation to what Jesus has done for us. And again, this woman gets it, right? She's, she's bold. She's assertive. She says, I may be a dog, but I am God's dog. Right? I'm a sinner, but I am made in the image of God, and I am loved. Again, she's not overly prideful. She's not overly despairing. She, her confidence is in Jesus' character, not her own. And she asks boldly for what she needs, and she gets it. And so my question for us this morning is, do we have this kind of faith? Do we pray with this kind of faith? Do we pray asking God for what we really want? I, often, I have to admit, I often don't. Right? I'll often pray about something, and then I'll end it with, well, you know, if it's your will. Which is, which is one way of saying, well, just kidding, I didn't really mean it. Now, yes, we are to, to pray for God's will. But often it's just a way of saying, well, whatever, case or sarah, whatever will be, will be. If we really wanted, if we really meant it, we would persevere in prayer like Jesus taught us to. Why don't we cry out for what we want and need? Why don't we pray with more passion, more faith, and trust that God is a good God who loves to give gifts to his children. Such a great hymn that we sing that I think holds those two things in balance, that has a good view of gospel humility, recognizes our neediness and our sinfulness, but also the boldness that comes with knowing what Jesus has done for us. It's called Come Boldly to the Throne of Grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace, you wretched sinners come. Lay your load at Jesus' feet. Plead what he has done. 
How can I come, some soul may say. I'm lame and cannot walk. My guilt and sin have stopped my mouth. I sigh but dare not talk. Come boldly to the throne of grace. For Jesus fills the throne. And those he kills, he makes alive. And hears the sigh or groan. Poor bankrupt souls who feel and know the hell of sin within. Come boldly to the throne of grace. The Lord will take you in. Let's pray. Father, we recognize when we read your word that it convicts us of our deep unworthiness, our deep sinfulness. But we also recognize that there is a love that has been given to us freely fills us and sets us free. You've called us to know you. You've called us to be strong, but to be strong in you. We pray, Father, as we walk through this Lent season, that even as we repent, that we would not wallow in our sin, but that we would confess it freely so we can be free of it and then live in the joy and the freedom that Jesus gives us. That we would be bold to ask for many things in your name. That we would be bold to take the kingdom by storm. That we would be bold to share our faith. That we would be bold to stamp out sin in our lives. And bold to speak the truth in love to one another all the while depending on your mercy at all the time Father increase our faith knowing that we are often faithless and our unbelief help us believe we pray this in the name of Jesus our Savior who feeds us from his table Amen